This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Let them eat cake. That's such nonsense. I would never say that. Okay, so did you see this photo of Amanda Rishworth, who is the social services minister, posing with a budget cake on budget night? Did you see her post this to social media? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what, what is going on there? Was she Did she bake the cake? And as some people pointed out, it wasn't a little bit too much on the nose to be like, uh, let them eat cake kind let, of thing? Let them eat cake. In fact, I shared it on my social media saying, yes, you know, Marie Antoinette would be proud. <laughs> and that let them eat cake and meanwhile um, people living in poverty get the crumbs. Jesus. <laughs> so there's no one in her office that sort of says, hey, Amanda, maybe, I don't know, this yeah. might be, give her the wrong vibe that we're going <laughs> a for. A bit, bit not really. Really connected, yes. You can do that with your balance of power. You keep pushing that. You've got a big balance of power. You've got more than what Tammy and I have. I can tell you. And you're not using that. You want to stop people from having a roof over their head. That is disgusting. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. A serious danger to Australia. Well, the bells are ringing. It's time for Serious Stage, everyone. Let's do a show. This is a podcast about Greens politics in Australia. Uh, it is not an official Greens Party podcast. A wonderful disclaimer we like to put out there every episode, even though we have official members of the Greens Party uh, and Greens MPs on the show. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, no surprises, we're talking budget 2023. What was in it? What wasn't in it? Why Marie Antoinette would be proud of it, uh, what the Greens are saying about it and fighting. Uh, Tom here, Emerald is still away this week. She is um, out being a Nepo baby and enjoying her birthday. She'll be back next week. But I'm very lucky to be joined by a special guest to go through all the details of the budget. She's a founding member of the Victorian Greens, a legend of the party. She's been a senator since 2013 and currently serves as the party spokesperson for aged care, forests, government services and social services. Janet Rice, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. It, it's really lovely to be here, Tom. Really pleased to join you. Thank you so much. Very quickly, a quick shout out to our new patrons. Thank you so much. You go to patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU uh, for just three bucks a month <laughs> for just a, a weekly job seeker increase. You can support the show um, and that helps us provide bonus content. It helps us pay the wage of our producer. Thank you to Jordan, Jason, Sholto, Hayden, who I met at my stand-up show this week in Sydney, who's a patron fan who believes that he became a patron and we didn't read his name out, so I'm doing it now. And apparently that's how you pronounce his name, Hayden. So, Hayden, I'm sorry. I love you. Thanks for supporting the show. You can make up for it by reporting, saying his name for the next seven shows, couldn't you? Oh, yes, we can work it in. <laughs> Hayden, Hayden, Hayden. And also to Yuvraj, I hope I'm pronouncing that okay, who sent us a message, former Labor supporter, disappointed with how tame the government has been, been listening to the pod last few months, helped cut through the anti Greens propaganda. So cheers. That is the kind of stuff we love to hear. Thank you very much, Yuvraj. Um, sign up to the Patreon for that bonus content. We released another bonus Patreon app this week. It was me and uh, Emerald running through some more of your questions, answering your cues about everything and anything. So that content is there for you, dear patrons. Please, sir. I want some more. What? Please, sir. I want some more. At the election, the Prime Minister said no one would be left behind. Well, Labor's budget leaves millions behind, leaving people in poverty while billionaires get tax cuts. Okay, Janet, let's dive into this thing. I saw you at a workshop last weekend um, talking about turning the uh, western suburbs of Melbourne green. That's, of course, where you hail from, and uh, you've been in Maribyrnong there. Great workshop. You were talking about the budget coming up. You did not have high hopes. You were prepared to be disappointed. Even given those low expectations, <laughs> were you still let down by what the Albanese government delivered this week? Um, yes. Mm. In a word, Yes. And it, you know, disappointing, but actually more than disappointing, distressing, because with my portfolios of, of community services in particular, and sort of looking and 
thinking about what people who are living on income support are going through yeah. and having been hearing from so many people who are trying to survive on job seeker, youth allowance, student allowance, parenting payment, and just knowing what desperate straits they're in, it was devastating to think that that's just going to continue. And for those people who had hoped the change of government was going to make a, huge, a big difference to their lives, that mm. maybe we would get an increase in income support payments so that they'd be lifted out of poverty, incredibly distressing, even more than disappointing, mm. because these are people that really can't afford to be putting food on the table. So many people that are on the verge of homelessness, if not homeless, of couch surfing or living in really, really crappy share overcrowded share housing or living in tents or living in cars with their kids, mm. and what they got was absolute crumbs. Mm. Um, we've got an increase in job seeker and student allowance and youth allowance you know, by $2.85 a day, mm. which, you know, as I said in a lot of my um, stuff that we've since the budget, you know, $2.85 a day, it doesn't even buy you a kilogram of, pota- of potatoes. Yeah. You know, it buys you half a packet of peanuts. Mm. <laughs> it buys you, a, you know, a couple of bits of fruit. Um, it's not the the fundamental change that's needed to allow people to be living a decent life. Mm. And meanwhile, you know, for us as a, for me as a politician on an extremely healthy salary, (laughs) you know, I will be a beneficiary of the stage three tax cuts, get a $9,000 a year tax cut like everybody else who's, you know, earning a lot of money. Um, That's $25 a day in tax cuts that we get given. And these are the choices that this government has made Mm. in this budget. And it's, yeah, it, it's a betrayal. It really is a betrayal of people who had hoped that a, a change in government was going to um, mean something better. Yeah, because that's what they freaking said, right? I mean, throughout this week we've had, and I think this is a very legitimate political tactic, the Greens and, and other voices criticising the government's budget pointing to this slogan. No one no one held back, whatever the hell that means, no one left behind. We heard this again <laughs> yeah. and again throughout the election campaign. And, and no Albanese had the gall to say on budget night that this was a budget that wasn't leaving people behind when we know there are millions of Australians yes. who for no fault of their own are having to survive on income support who are just going to be in, look, you know, an extra... $2.85, and if they're one of the, the um, lucky few who get um, rent, allow- rent assistance, they'll get an extra a dollar a day approximately, so they might get an extra $4 a day. Mm. And, look, they won't sneeze at that because, you know, $4 a day you can, yeah, buy your extra bits of fruit. You can buy half a packet of, of peanuts, you know. Yeah. Um, it'll be put to good use, but it doesn't touch the sides of what's needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean again, the... Um the tragedy of the situation. Obviously, people are living in such desperate circumstances that yes, four dollars a day is 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 literally something, right? That does will actually make some kind of tangible difference in those people's lives. But I think a testament to the anti-poverty movement across the board, across a whole bunch of organisations, including the Greens, has been to call bullshit on that and raise the standards of the expectations of what we should be fighting for, right? Like using poverty as the baseline to say no one in this country should be living on a poverty payment in one of the richest countries in the world. Exactly, because it is holding people back. Right. You know, it means yes. that people can't get work. And you know, I chair the Senate's Community Affairs um, Committee's inquiry into poverty, the extent and nature of poverty in Australia, mm. which has been going since October last year. And we've heard had hearings all around the country and hearing from people who are living on income support, who are living in poverty. And those stories are heartbreaking. Mm. You know, and you hear of people who are trying to study who have might have some health problems, they can't afford to work, at the, they can't be working and studying at the same time, having to drop out of their studies, can't afford their medical treatment, so their health problems just are continuing and chronic, whereas if they actually had payments that were enabling them to pay for their, their, their medical bills, enabling them to pay the rent without having to work crazy hours in low-paid jobs, um, they'd be able to get on and they'd be able to get jobs and, you know, be good tax-paying <laughs> contributing <laughs> citizens, you know, in the in the in the formal economy and that's what so many people want to do but can't escape from this trap and that sort of the cycle the whirlpool of living in poverty yeah let's um, let's just uh, run through the details briefly of this and then and sort of talk about some bigger issues surrounding it so yes we had this uh increase in the budget from jobs job seeker youth allowance Oz study out of study and some other payments 
by $40 a fortnight. I love how the government constantly likes to frame it like that. $40 a fortnight (laughs) and try to avoid the idea that it's $200. And and, and just for comparison, if you were going to lift people above the poverty line, the increase in payments that would have been needed is around $40 a day. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) Jesus, good Lord. Um, So, and the higher rates of people on JobSeeker, which used to apply to people 60 and above, this is apparently designed to recognise that older people are more likely to be long-term, unemployed, uh, I mean, there are some de- debates about this statistic or how relevant that should be. Anybody who's long-term unemployed, any nobody should be living in poverty where you're, whether you're 21 or, or uh, you know, 58. But they did lower that age for that uh, higher rate to kick in. So people between 50 and 59 will be getting $92 more per, per fortnight. Is that right? 55 and 59. But you still yeah. have to be long-term unemployed. So basically what it's done is to bring down the threshold where it used to be at 60. If you were unemployed for more than nine months, you got an extra payment in recognition right. that you were probably unlikely to be finding full-time work. Sure. Um, now if, now that's been dropped to 55. Yeah. But, yes, so people who are over 55 get that, that extra payment. But, you know, as we know, when you go into the supermarket and you're buying a loaf of bread, they don't ask you at the checkout whether you're 20 or whether you're 60. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, I'm 21. Can I get a discount yeah, for being, that's right. being ages away from more government support? Yeah. Um, what do you think happened? Because we had this sort of leak to Channel 7 News ahead of the budget, this suggestion that the boost was only going to apply to people 55 and over. Um, on budget night, we found out that the job seeker boost is is across the board. What do you think happened there? Was that a leak gone wrong? Was that the government trying to throw out some ideas to see how people would would deal with it? What do you think happened there? Look, I think, yeah, I think they were trying it out and seeing they had two big things in the or two things in the income support space that they had hoped was going to be enough. And that was one. So really sort of speaking to this older audience and trying to, you know, they are more deserving unemployed rather than younger people who, you know, the in terms of, you know, conservative framing, they should the younger people should be able to just get out and, you know, get a job. So they thought maybe if they could just deliver on that, that that might be enough. And the other thing that was pretty clear they were going to deliver on, which was, was welcome, was increasing the extent for parenting payments so that single parents, mostly women, whose kids um, um, between the ages of eight and now 14 will now be eligible for parenting payment, almost bringing it back to what it was before the Howard government and then the Gillard governments have locked in um, scrapping it and and, and reducing it um, for kids down to the age of eight. So mm. we've now got families whose kids are between 8 and 14 who will be eligible for the higher rate of payment of, of parenting payment single. So I think the government thought with those two measures, which they leaked fairly early on that they were going to be doing that, they thought that might be enough. I think they miscalculated and and they heard the response. They heard the response from the community. They also heard the response from quite a number of their government backbench who signed on to the ACOS letter to raise the rate. And I think they realised that they needed to do a bit more. And so that's where this tiny increase of the $2.85, which meant that they could say, yes, 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 we're doing more. Yes, you know, we've tackled raising the rate of income support. Mm -hmm. But I think I heard the the Treasurer say on budget night that the cost of increasing income support by $2.85 a day um, is about $4.9 $4.9 billion. So in terms of, you know, you compare that, say, to the revenue that's being foregone by the stage three tax cuts of yeah. $254 billion, it's hardly anything. So it was something that they were able to add into the budget um, without it, you know, really taking a big hit and to be able to say that, yes, 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 you know, we're raising income support. Right. I mean, this is it, right? Like the campaign is raise the rate. Now we all know that raise the rate is hey, raise the rate above the poverty line. People should be living in poverty, right? But in terms of just the the three-word slogan around it, it is raise the rate. And the government can say we did raise the rate. But I I don't know. What, yeah. what is our response when we say, well, you raise the rate, but you raise by $2.85 yeah. a day <laughs> and people are still living in poverty? Exactly. It's got to be raise the rate so that no one is living in poverty. And, yeah. I mean, we had... As I said, we've got. I've been chairing this inquiry into poverty, and mm. we had an interim report that came out just um, the week before the budget, and managed to get um, Labor senators to sign on to a recommendation to say that there should be um, urgent action taken in the in the budget to. Uh, I can't remember what the words were there, but there are some some weasel words about mm. you know trying to address the issue that people were living in poverty. 
But yes. they weren't even willing to sign on to a recommendation from an inquiry that they had um, that we had done a couple of years before. Where at least they were willing to say that you know raise the rate of income support to, so that um, people aren't living in poverty. Yeah. They weren't willing to say that because they know that that's it is you know is going to require quite a significant contribution in the budget. Mm-hmm. But you know we're making significant contributions like. Yeah, you know, tens of billions of dollars in fossil fuel subsidies, um, the $254 billion in the stage three tax cuts, the $368 billion for the AUKUS submarines, you know, budgets about are about choices and they weren't willing to make that choice. I have a memory of Katie Gallagher when she was in opposition in Senate estimates trying to hold the government's feet to the fire over defining poverty, right, and saying, do you believe that people live in poverty what does poverty look like in Australia? Trying to hammer them pretty home. We we know in opposition, this Labor gov- Labor Party was regularly saying that forty dollars a day wasn't enough, and people are struggling, and they should raise it more, and yada yada yada. And, and when the Morrison government raised the rate um, during the pandemic to help people, too, the the Labor Party said they support it and it should sort of be kept high. Yeah, and then they get in the government and it all goes to shit. And similarly, you know, in this 2020 um, Senate report, the recommendation that, you know, they agreed unanimously with us was that there should be a national definition of poverty. They weren't willing to recommend that, you know, we put it to them that that surely they should be able to agree to that recommendation in our interim report, but they weren't. I'm hoping that, they, you know, they might come to it. I mean, it was another recommendation of their hand-picked Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee that there should be a national definition of poverty, and that, Economic Advisory Committee also recommended a substantial increase in the rate of income support, you know, which was considerably more um, than what what they've ended up giving. So they were happy to ignore the recommendations of the Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee. That committee actually ended ended up with stronger recommendations than I thought it would be. It was chaired by a former Labor Minister, Jenny Macklin, you know, who was the former Social Services Minister. But, yeah, but they had some, you know, some academics on it who really, they know what people are going through (laughs) and they know the consequences and they know we've heard such good evidence from the advocacy groups and the academics as well as, of course, the people who are, you know, the lived experience who are living in poverty Mm. to just know what the impact on people of these poverty payments is. Some other reactions to the announcement of the increase to the rate. This is from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. They released a statement saying the budget has been released and we're gutted. The Henderson poverty line, which is calculated on the actual cost of things like groceries and bills for a single person, is $610.60 a week. The budget's increase to job seeker will raise it to $366.45 a week. It costs a minimum of 600 bucks a week for people to feed themselves, keep a roof over their head and pay for essentials. And the Labor government believes that people on JobSeeker can somehow ignore this inescapable reality. This isn't doing it tough. This is a level of poverty that kills people. Um, ACOS, which advocates for a, a lower rate than the Anderson Poverty Line, but sort of you know something in the realm of $70 a day kind of thing. The government is providing an increase of $2.85 a day for people with the least. The state tax cuts would deliver $25 a day to people on the highest incomes. We have our priorities wrong. That's ACOS Chief Cassandra Goldie. Um, as you said, the Economic Inclusion Committee was saying that it should be raised by at least $128 per week. So compare yep. that to the $20 per week that we actually received. <laughs> exactly. Really exactly. The scale yeah. of magnitude different. <laughs> yes. And sort of, and said, yeah, it should be closer to 90% of the age pension. I believe there was a point where maybe New Start was something in the realm of 90% of the age pension for people. And then um, maybe under Howard or something, those. The, yeah, the I mean, relationship they, between job seeker I, and I can't remember what the exact measures are, but they but they are indexed at different rates, and so right. the age pension keeps keeps pace with what the actual cost of living is, right. um, whereas job seeker doesn't, and so they've they've got further and further apart. Of course, you know, for the age pension, it depends on whether if the pensioners who own their own homes, yep. um, the age pension is actually not too bad. But if you are paying private rental and some skyrocketing rents, yep. you know, there are plenty of age pensioners that are, are doing it tough as well, yep. let alone, and the and there was no increase to the age pension and there was no increase in particular to, to the disability support pension. And so you've got people on the DSP, people with disabilities who have got lot considerably higher living costs um, for a whole range of reasons. Yeah. And so it was really um, disappointing that there was no increase to the DSP either. And similarly, the parenting payment, um, even though they extended the eligibility, so at least, you know, 
um, single parents with kids up to the age of 14 will no, no get, now get it. There was no increase to the rate. Mm. And so, yeah, you've still got, you know, still have an awful lot of single parents who, you know, won't be able to afford to put that banana in their kid's lunchbox Mm. because it's just too much, (laughs) you know, and and, and people and parents who are, you know, trying to pretend to their kids that they're not hungry. I mean, they were heartbreaking stories of, you know, families where you had, you know, um, the single parents that, feeding their kids and pretending to their kids, oh, no, I'm fine, you know, I ate earlier, um, and not being able to and having to choose between, you know, whether you pay for your kids' asthma puffer or your own medication, mm. all of those sorts of awful choices that we shouldn't be putting people through. Yeah. Well, the government disagrees with you, Janet. Uh, Treasurer Jim Chalmers said the increase to the uh, rates was appropriate. We understand that there will be people who are saying $40 a fortnight is not enough. There will be some people who will be saying <laughs> it is too much. We think we've struck the right balance between what we can afford and taking into consideration the economic pressures in the economy. Okay, first of all, this is centrist brain gone crazy. And I've seen this a lot from the Labor government. They're saying, oh, the Liberals hate it and the Greens hate it. Therefore, we're doing the right thing. It yeah. would nail it perfect. Katie Gallagher said exactly the same thing oh, when I, I asked the question in question time the day after budget. And there's, oh, look, you know, the other side is saying we went too far, therefore we're right. Oh. Yeah. God, okay. But Chalmers is trying to use this inflation argument and this is being wheeled out, used as a cudgel across the board in the budget. We can't, we simply can't, we would love to give poor people more money and lift yeah. them out of poverty, <laughs> but that would make inflation worse. <laughs> what do you say when you're faced with this, this dog shit on Look, a regular basis? It is absolute baloney, basically. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, what are inflationary pressures? What are the things that are, are pushing up inflation? It's where you've got demand for things that then means that the prices will go up and and you know a classic thing is is you know rents skyrocketing at the moment you've got really low supply mm. um people who own properties know that they can put the rent up and people just have to pay that's inflationary yeah but you know being able to afford to pay your medical expenses and go and buy your medications being able to afford to repair your washing machine or pay for your or, or pay for a ticket on the train mm. being being able to as i said you know put a bit of fruit in your kids lunchbox um and to instead of living on two minute noodles you know being able to occasionally afford to buy a a, a bit of fish or something mm. um that's not what's causing inflation <laughs> absolutely no. it's not no because people as you say people just aren't buying the stuff if, if they have more money to buy stuff they will buy the stuff but people just simply are buying they're not they're not like you know buying uh, groceries uh, reluctantly or whatever they're like literally not buying these products because they simply can't afford it on these current payments exactly whereas if you you know are you know nine thousand dollars a year in tax cuts so an extra twenty five dollars a week in the um in the pockets of people who yes can go out and afford to pay that on you know meals and holidays and everything else um is potentially um, inflationary but i mean basically the whole framing of inflation being something that we can deal with by domestic policy is also questionable because we know that the main contributors to inflation over the last years have been because of the increase in commodity prices, increase in fuel, um, largely caused by the Russia's um, war in Ukraine. Yeah. And and all of the supply chain um, problems, and according um, caused by COVID as well, which meant that you've had um, reduction in supply and you've had an increase in costs. Mm. Now it's not it's not what poor people are spending their money on that's the thing that's causing inflation. It's just mm. really wonky and we're really wrong um, economic theory. And it's so so hypocritical. So yes, uh, somehow um, dollars spent in defence uh, don't in, uh, aren't inflationary at all. So so the government spending in these certain areas apparently uh, it has no effect on inflation. But when it comes to helping out poor people, then that's when the inflation bell exactly. starts going. Up, and that's when we should be really worried. I mean, I mean, I mean. Look, we, when we say it's not inflationary at all, it, it is fair to say that you know if you injected, if you I don't know triple job seeker tomorrow or whatever the the it may have a level of inflation impact on the economy. But I think some other economists will say, well, that that impact, A, would be negligible compared to the other major major factors driving inflation at the moment. And also there is a moral argument to say that, you know, in in a cost of living crisis, uh, there is a, we, we have a moral obligation sometimes to 
make sure that people have enough money to survive in one of the richest countries in the world. And if that does have a mild inflationary impact, then then so be it. Sometimes that is a cost that we have to yeah. wear. Right? I think also it's interesting that elsewhere in the budget, the government is doing deflationary things. So they skipped in with this energy subsidy to lower people's who are eligible's uh, energy bills by 500 bucks. So that's the government stepping in exactly. and covering that amount of money. So that it, and will actually bring down the CPI, will actually, you know, bring down to, um, inflation a little bit. Exactly. And so, you know, reducing people's medical costs is a classic case of if you're wanting to tackle right. inflation, take costs out of people's budget. Yes. I mean, putting dental care into Medicare, for example, would yes. be a great thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So reducing people's healthcare costs. There are heaps of things that you could be doing providing those services. Genuinely making, you know, childcare free. Genuinely making public education free mm. so that, you know, people aren't having to pay extra, extra costs and charges, you know, genuinely making tertiary education free and scrapping student debt so that people weren't having to pay back their, you know, their, their hex debts. Yeah. No, they're being indexed. So, and in fact, you know, a, a really lovely, you know, um, fact out of the budget is that the government's getting more money from the increase in people paying back their student debts um, than they are getting from the gas tax, which they <laughs> the increase in the gas tax, which is just again showing you where your priorities are and where they'd prefer to get to be pulling money out of people who are sort of. Still, largely, if you're paying back your, your hex debt, um, you know, most people aren't you know aren't on huge incomes when they're paying when most of that hex debt is being paid back. They'll mm. get money out of those middle Australian people, but they won't get money out of the gas gas corporations. Yeah. You know, and that's you know the um, gas tax, the petroleum resource rent tax, which everybody knows has been totally broken. You've got the gas companies paying no tax at all um, while they're making massive profits and yet the changes that have been announced are only going to increase the tax from those gas companies by $4 billion. Mm. Um, we put together a proposal that would have brought in almost $100 billion um, over the next 10 years just by making these gas companies pay tax. You know, our measure, it was, there were three things. One was to that you made them pay a minimum, a base rate of 10% tax every year well, which we thought was pretty reasonable, really, <laughs> um, wiping all of their accumulated deductions because I said to they pay no tax because they say, oh, we've done all of this investment, you know, 20 years ago, so therefore we're still paying that off so we don't need to pay tax now. Mm. And then treating their tax deductions the same way as other companies have their have their tax deductions treated. They get special treatment because, you know, because they're the gas companies, because we need them. Um, and so they end up paying next to nothing and meanwhile, you just look at how much their record profits have been over the last years um, because of the um, the shortage of, of of energy. And yeah, it's just it's really it just shows where the government's priorities are. It shows that you've got the government that's continuing to just be doing things hand in hand with the the fossil fuel companies because they're their mates. Yeah, yeah. I think a really good side of that gas tax is that the the peak body Appia came out and said, this is a great tax. We support That's this right. tax. This is fantastic, guys. The opposition yeah. should support it. This is a good tax, guys. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Worked out in, in perfect collaboration with the, with the gas companies. Um, just wanted to uh, other things on these uh, on payments and sort of uh, social security cost of living stuff. So Parents Next is has been dropped. Is that my understanding? And, and maybe yes. if you give people just a really um, brief overview of what that that shitty program was. Why it is good news in the budget? Yes, it's program. good news. Parents Next was one of the appalling, um, so the so-called mutual obligations. So the hoops mm. you've got to get jump through in order to receive your your income support payments. And so Parents Next was this really sort of punitive um, things that that parents had to do in order to be able to get parenting payment. And again, it was based on oh, you're not working hard enough to try and get back to work, or you're not looking off, you're not. You know, you've got to go and take your kids off to story time at the library in order to get your payment. It was also that, you know, poor people can't look after their children well enough so that we're going to make you do these things mm. in order to, to make you be a better parent. And it was, yeah, really, it was discriminatory. It was it was offensive, basically, so many of the things that, that parents were having to do in order to get their parenting payment. So that has been scrapped. So that is, that is good news. That is good um, news. But it just really underlines how so many of the other mutual obligations for the other payments are just just ways to just try and and punish people yeah. um, and basically because they're they're being poor because they're poor and so you know 
both the yeah the number of job applications you put in the sort of the the so the make work type activities that people have got to do in order to get their job seeker payments, which are just do not help people find work in they so don't, many yeah, places. Yeah, don't even work. Don't even get people no, with exactly. Jobs. And they cost yeah. billions of dollars, you know, yeah. to, to private employment providers to be rolling these out. So our yeah. position is very much that these mutual obligations should be scrapped altogether. We're really good to see par- to see parents next having been gone mm. um, and we want to see the rest of them go as well. Yeah, great. We mentioned the single parenting payment change. So as we said, uh, lifting the age when uh, you're pushed on to job seeker as a single parent from eight up to 14. Again, it will, you know, the Howard government and the Gillard government is was responsible for reducing that age. So it's a, quite a racket for this Labor government to just kind of reverse a shittier exactly. Labor decision and, before and then take and, a victory And want to get a pat on the back for sort of, you know, <laughs> reversing their own, their own bad work. I mean, essentially, yes, Howard government had introduced it, but the Gillard government locked it in. Right. And they and whereas there'd been you know, what's called a, a grandfather agreement, so that sort of kids, family, um, single parents with kids up until the age of 16, if they were between the ages of 8 and 16, they continued to get it, whereas when yeah. Gillard came in, she actually slashed that grandfathering agreement. So suddenly there were people who were yeah, had their, their payments almost halved overnight. Yeah. Now, I was talking to a friend of the show, Chris O'Connell from the Anti-Poverty Centre last night, and she was saying, so these changes don't actually take effect until September. Is that right? So if, if there are single parents who have kids that age out that turn eight between now and September, they will briefly be kicked off into JobSeeker yes. and then go back on in September, yes, I suppose, yes. but there and will I've be this had, shitty period in between. Yeah, I've had quite a few people who have contacted my office saying, hey, you know, <laughs> what's happening? And yeah. it, Which is certainly something I'm going to be taking up with the minister. I mean, they deliberately would have had it kicking in in September because it saves them an extra three months. That's one of the things, how to save money. You know, if they brought it in on the 1st of July, that would have cost them an extra three months of payment. So you just sort of put it out until September and hope that people don't notice. Yeah. I don't know whether there's any hope of having the start date brought back. Certainly, you know, when we're looking at the budget legislation, um, which we don't know yet um, whether we will be looking at it in the last two sitting weeks at the end of June, but um, when we are, that's the sort of thing that, well, we could potentially try and amend it. Um, I don't know whether such amendments would get up, but, you know, because we know, yes, people are going to have their payments slashed um, if they've got kids that are, are turning eight um, between July and September, and yet then they'll go back on to another payment in September, a higher payment in September. Right. Um, on housing, we mentioned the Commonwealth Rent Assistance, so it's, what, a dollar twelve a day increase? Is this sort of 50% boost to Commonwealth Rent That's Assistance? Right. Now, I... My understanding is Commonwealth Road Assistance is cooked in a variety of different ways, but particularly the strict, uh, you know, um, eligibility criteria and the way that it sort of works to fund the private uh, rental market and such. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Is that I mean, is that, essentially, about the poultry the, that won't do anything to like rents have yeah. gone up by ten percent year on year, right? So what's yeah, what's this the, the yeah, the number one thing that needs to happen is to increase the rate of income support across the board, so you're right. not having to have this separate separate bureaucratic process to get rent assistance. And there are a lot of people who are on income support who don't get rent assistance because they haven't got their name on the lease, for example. If you're living in a shared house um, and you haven't got your name on the lease, you don't get it. Yeah. But that said, okay, for the people that get it, it is valuable because with rents having gone up. Um, so our position has been, look, raise income support and then, you know, you could have rent assistance on top of that. Um, but then, yeah, to say that we're doing something, that the government's doing something about rent assistance by increasing it by, I think it was 15%, when basically our position was that it needed to be, and you needed to be raising income support and doubling rent assistance mm. um, and putting it up by a dollar a day when rents in the capital cities over the last year have gone, ta- gone up 10 times as much as that. It is just a complete drop in the bucket. God. And, as, of course, as the Greens are want to put out, the uh, budget continues to provide $7 billion in tax concessions for property investors every single year. Uh, yeah. That's year on year, $7 billion handouts for people who own houses and are profiting from the rental and housing crisis. Exactly. Crisis. The whole yeah. negative gearing and capital gains tax discounts go on and on and on and on. I mean, imagine. I mean, we're, we're having, obviously, a, you know, we'll probably move on to the discussion about the housing debate that's been going on in the parliament this week. But imagine yeah. if you, instead of giving that $7 billion to property investors, you actually just invested that in building social and affordable housing. Right. You said, 
here we go. What? How much can you can you build with seven billion dollars a year? It's a lot of housing that you could build. Um, a much more effective and equitable way of providing housing than giving these massive tax discounts to people. Yeah. I'm going to save a little bit of that juice. We've got Max Chandler-Mather joining us for our live show in Brisbane next week. I know the push, oh, the, the, the vote on the um, on the housing bills has now been pushed back to when Parliament sits back in, in June, it seems. Uh, that seems yeah. to be the way that things have sort of uh, laid out. But, yes, but actually on the budget thing, I saw someone else point out that the this idea of a $10 Ten billion dollar housing fund, and you just you just use the money from the that you make from that fund, invest that into housing. This kind of uh, gambling yeah. on the stock market, as we as we framed it as a party, is that is that a method to keep it budget neutral? So that ten billion dollars fund does it actually count it as spending? Yes, it means it's off off the books. Oh my! Yeah, God. exactly. It's just an accounting trick. It's just it's just so bad. I mean, why you can't just have the government? And okay, if you had to, you know, have a bit of extra deficit. It's so much more sensible to do it that way and to spend yes. the $5 billion a year that we say needs to be spent and yet have it, have it on the books, acknowledge right. it up front that that's what the government's spending rather than, yeah, gambling on the stock market, so setting up this fund that the future fund then in, then um, invests that the government hasn't got any control over. And that's, you know, one of the big things that the government's saying, oh, it's going to mean that these houses get built. But if the if it had been if the fund had been in existence last year, the future fund lost money last year. There yeah. wouldn't have been a cent that was spent. And even though the government says no, 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 the legislation would mean that it's guaranteed, the legislation does not guarantee it. It just doesn't because they can't because they've set up the future fund as a completely separate entity, and they can you know so essentially the legislation says oh well you know we will recommend or we will do our, make our yeah make our best Take endeavors reasonable steps or something yes, yes. Oh my God. in fact we're having a chat in the chamber and nick mckim said that you know he could be making his best endeavors to be playing football for hawthorne you know but <laughs> that doesn't mean it's gonna happen yeah, it doesn't mean shit Right. Okay. Well, again, as you say, more details on that with our discussion with Max. Before we just move on to some other bigger picture uh, items from the from the budget and um, and wrap up, uh, Janet, um, would you say in trying to find some good news amongst all this shit, do you think that the conversation has changed around the way we approach welfare payments and people living in poverty and this this conversation when it when it comes to the the state of Australia? Because it seems to me that even in just observing politics over the past decade, that conversation has changed. I think that's a testament to anti-poverty campaigners. I think it's a testament to the Greens, to your predecessor, Rachel Seward, to reporting from The Guardian. I mean, it does feel like a little bit, at least, the dial um, publicly and the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, I should say, have have raised awareness on this and tried to to pull out a little bit more, a, a bit of bloody common decency and to make people recognise how tough it is for people living on welfare and how much those people, how much more those people deserve mm. because they're human beings. Do you think, have you noticed a, a shift in that? Oh, look, I think it has changed and I think there is less of the, you know, the right-wing sort of shock jock, everybody that's on job seeker is a doll bludger who should be off there getting work. There is still quite a bit of that, you know, and the yeah. conservative media will still try and run that. But I think for most people they recognise that that's not the case and most people recognise that people living on income support, it's something that our society needs to be supporting people, you know, when and it's 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 something that a civilized society does. Mm. I think there is also, I mean, one of the consequences of the fact that the payments have got so low and people have struggled so much to get by on them. And so there are most people who are living on income support who have got, you know, networks, they've got friends, they've got family, they've got community members, they have to reach out to them to, to help get their support. And so that you've got these ripples of people who know what people are going through and there's a much more greater awareness I think of just the struggles that people are going through in just trying to survive and you look at the you know the stories of families yeah families with kids for example living in cars and people look at that and they think hey that's wrong Uh, (laughs) and that's a consequence of how low our income support payments and the fact that we don't have rent freezes and so you know Private rental has absolutely skyrocketed out of control, and the fact that the government hasn't invested in social and affordable housing, so the housing stock's not there. Mm. But I think all of those things mean that people recognise that there are some people that are 
who are doing it really, really tough, who are there through no fault of their fault of their own, and who are no longer being demonised in the way that um, some segments of society used to demonise them. Right, and the RoboNet scandal, I guess, played into that too, like a real demonstration of just how punitive and evil, yeah. uh, you know, this this kind of welfare system that's based around punishing people and treating people with suspicion, and what what that can result in this kind of illegal, <laughs> deeply unjust yeah. uh, program that was rolled out. So. <laughs> Absolutely. What sort of government is it that can't guarantee a cent, a single cent for public and affordable housing, but can guarantee $254 billion for everyone in this place to get $9,000 extra a year on tax? They can guarantee $41 billion for fossil fuel subsidies. They can guarantee $16 billion in tax concessions for property investors, but they can't guarantee a cent for public and affordable housing in the middle of the worst housing crisis we have seen in generations. A Labor member over there just before told me to grow up. Grow up! And if you think, and if you think that your strategy is to tell everyone in this country it's immature to think that in one of the wealthiest countries in the world we can't put a roof over everyone's head, if you think it's a strategy to call people immature because we think it's wrong that you're raising more money from charging interest on student debt than you are from raising taxes on gas corporations, if you think it's a good strategy to tell everyone in this country that it's immature to expect that while politicians in this place are about to get a $9,000 extra year off on their tax, we think no one in this country should be forced to live on poverty payments. How dare you? How dare you? And the strategy that you resort to is lying to the Australian public. Now, if you're watching at home, here's the strategy that they're deploying. Here's the strategy they're deploying. They are trying to crush your hope. They are trying to crush your hope. What they are trying to do to you right now is to say this is all you can hope for. And if you hope for anything else, and if anyone comes out and says, you know what, when you can find $4.2 billion for a surplus, maybe we should be spending $5 billion a year on public and affordable housing, you'll get attacked for it. They are trying to bash you down until there is nothing left for you to hope for. But you know what? You know what? The reality is... The reality is that the reason they're doing it is not for technical or policy reasons. There's not actually any reason we couldn't tax big corporations and make sure we build enough public and affordable housing in this country. The private construction industry is in decline. We could be using those skills and construction materials to build public and affordable housing. We could be freezing rent increases, the same that countries around the world have done and Australia has done before. We could do that. But the reason they don't want to do it is because really they're on the side of the banks and property developers who make enormous profits in this country. Here's the deal. In this budget, they're guaranteeing money for property developers and tax concessions to build apartments that, when Mervac built them, Mervac, by the way, the outgoing CEO of Mervac, if you're wondering, is also the person they're appointing ahead of their National Supply and Affordability Council. What a sick joke. Anyway, they charged for those apartments 20 per cent above market rent. Above market rent. Above market rent. Well, guess what? No one in this country is going to take that for much longer. And if you think your strategy is to yell and abuse and attack anyone who asks for more, if your strategy is that and listen to that, you've got another thing coming because there's enough people in this country now who are screwed over by a political system that snarls and attacks anyone who asks for more, while we've just seen the banks record tens of billions of dollars in profit. If anyone thinks that's normal, and if you're going to go around and call the Greens radicals for, uh, for suggesting that in a wealthy country like this, the fact that the banks are making billions of dollars in profit while the government can't guarantee a cent for public and affordable housing is moderate, is moderate, you've got an absolute another thing coming. The only radicals in this place are the ones who think doing that is sustainable. The only radicals in this place are the ones who think that it's okay to give yourselves $9,000 extra a year off on your tax while telling people they have to live on $52 a day. What a sick joke. And, and, I, and I, it's remarkable that and good to hear that people are bringing up door knocking. Because maybe I'll finish with this. Uh, we had someone come into our office, a woman who had just had her rent jacked up by $120 a week. $120 a week. And uh, this guy, this person is on Centrelink payments, unemployed long term because of a debilitating heart condition, but unable to get on DSP. After rent, bills and food, he literally did not have the money to pay the $70 train trip to get home to be with her. When my team told him we'd transfer him $100 immediately so he could book the ticket straight away and buy some food for the trip, he broke down weeping. Weeping. He spent two full days desperately pleading with Centrelink to give him an urgent payment 
And you stand here and you think, and you think that it's good enough to give yourselves tax cuts while this is happening to people in this country. How dare you? All right, quick hits. Uh, I know you got you got to hit the road. Um, sorry, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but just some uh, last little points I've interested in your thoughts on. Of course, the surplus. Hey, we got a surplus. Yeah. We got a $4 billion <laughs> surplus. Isn't that amazing, Janet? Don't we love the surplus? And isn't it great? Yeah, the political surplus, just to show that Labor are good economic managers. That's right. I mean, while you've got people living in poverty, you know, that $4 billion could have gone a long way. I mean, as I said, you know, the increase in job seeker to two eighty five a day, the Treasurer said on budget night was going to cost $4.9 billion. So you could have almost doubled it and not had that surplus. Right. And, you know, it would have made a huge, much more of a difference to people's lives. It's just this whole thing of, oh, we've got to, you know, get the budget back into back into surplus. Um I think one of the things that they might be doing is because it's only a surplus for this year and then we're into um, deficits again from in the, in the other years, maybe they're leaving the door open to say in future years, well, if we modified the stage three tax cuts, that well, then we could bring the budget back into surplus in those years as well. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask about that. I mean, so... So yes, the the next election could happen next year in theory, but probably yeah. won't happen until twenty twenty five. Okay, so it could well, be election next year. the the cuts The tax cuts kick in on July first of twenty twenty four, right? That's when yeah. stage three is actually introduced. Okay, so That's you do right. have a budget next year that yeah. they could lay the political groundwork between now and then. Yeah, to and they could they happen. could delay them. I mean, the election has to be held by May twenty twenty five. I right. think it's unlikely that um, we'll go that long. I mean, essentially, the last the two um, Morrison elections were held in May because you know Morrison wasn't doing too well in the polls and didn't know whether he was going to win. And mm. so if you're in those circumstances, you put the election off for as long as possible. Right. I think where, you know, if Albanese and the Labor government keep travelling the way they're going at the moment, if they think that there's a good likelihood of, of them um, winning and being returned, they will go earlier. And so you'd think probably more likely to have an election no later than March 2025 but then it could it could be it's able to be held any time after August, and so the other potential time is the end of next year. Sort of, you know, and again, you could they could craft a budget in May that's got you know lots of wonderful things in it, and lots of and things like um, that they would say will only come into into play if they're re-elected, right. and then have an election you know, at the end of next year. And in okay. which case, you know, you could you could see a scenario where they'd say, well. We're going to delay the stage three tax cuts coming into play, and we're going to modify them in this way so that you know they're not not as generous for the really the really really wealthy. Okay, great. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad that um, someone who's as close to it all as you is saying that uh, you know don't give up on that hope, but people need to keep hammering on them <laughs> on every keep, single day. I, you know, I mean, we keep hammering them on it basically yeah. every day in the parliament. We remind them of the two hundred and fifty-four billion dollars that they're giving up in revenue from the stage three tax cuts, and yeah. you can spend, you know, buy so many things, and we're quite happy to spend that two hundred and fifty-four billion dollars multiple times, giving them a smorgasbord of choices as mm. to the sort of, sort of things that they could be funding <laughs> instead of giving the money away, and with the vast majority of it benefiting, yeah, really, really wealthy people. <laughs> All right, last few little hits here. So, um, in the the inflation outlook, and I invest no in. <laughs> Um, nothing in all these budget predictions because they're always <laughs> wrong and then we're always told how wrong they were at the next budget. So who the hell cares? But they're sort of saying that inflation will fall back between 2 and 3% mid next year, which does seem very ambitious indeed and perhaps doesn't in- incorporate or factor in the inflationary impact of the stage three tax cuts. But I guess, yeah, there you go. Um, the defence, heaps of money for those subs, of course. We also That's found cool. out there is a 50% contingency yeah. uh, work into the cost of the budget. So David Shoebridge is talking about this shit may cost us end up end up costing us half a trillion dollars yeah, when it's all yeah, said and done. Three hundred and you know, stage three tax cuts two hundred and fifty four billion dollars, Orca submarines three hundred and sixty to eight billion dollars with a fifty percent contingency. So, you know, yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. For eight submarines that we're not getting for, you know, decades. <laughs> Yes. Wow. <laughs> There's so much money on there. And and whatever you think, ordinary people, if you're not an economics major, and I certainly wasn't, 
and I'm not now, but like just there are so many lies being told to you, but what you see with your clear eyes is absolutely correct. There is heaps of goddamn money. Yeah. We're a very rich country. We could do lots of things. Don't yeah. let them tell you otherwise. And, and if people want to get their heads around just what that means, you know, what does $368 billion mean? There was a really good ABC online explainer of what the $254 billion of the stage three tax cuts meant. So scrolling yes. through, you know, with each dot representing a million dollars and yes. the stage, the $254 billion that went on for pages and pages and pages. <laughs> it's, and, you know, with these other little dots saying, this is what you could buy, you know, increasing income support or, yeah, putting dental into Medicare, all of those sorts of things. And what a small proportion of that amount of money that uh, all of these other really good things would cost. And it's the choices that are being made. Yeah. <laughs> um, overall, Treasury is forecast defence spending to grow by $30 billion more in the next decade than it had previously expected. So, again, always money for uh, for defence if we need them. The aged care workers boost, uh, the government's committing $11.3 billion paying for a historic wage increase for aged care workers, which will come into effect from July. That seems like a good thing that which we like. Which is really important, but it's yep. still it's a 15% um, boost to aged care workers, which is great. Um, we have been pushing and continue to to push and the um, the union movement were pushing for a 25% increase right. um, to bring aged care workers up to parity for um, for people with similar skills in, in other professions who are more mm. mostly men, whereas aged care workers are mostly women. Yeah. Um. <laughs> right. Okay, good. Um, and finally on climate, and look, I don't want to brush over the significance of climate, of course, but we've mentioned this, this gas uh, tax, which is pathetic. It raises barely anything. And, of course, the gas industry is on board with it. The $41.1 billion in fossil fuel subsidies over the next four years, that keeps going, keeps fueling the fossil fuel industry when we need to be shutting it down. And much more than is being spent on climate, by the way. You know, there's yes, more money ridiculous. being spent on fossil fuel subsidies than is being spent on, on tackling the climate crisis. Right. $83 million on a net zero authority. So this is like a, a transition authority, which has been Green's policy for a while. I think that's probably good to see, to sort of actually set yeah. up a body that can actually help um, particularly communities transition over. They're, they're putting it in, in one of the government departments rather than having an independent authority. So, again, we will keep pushing for it to be independent. Great. Yeah. $450 million to help the biggest polluters invest in reducing their own admissions as under the safeguard mechanism, which seems like free money to help polluters, yeah. you know, quit smoking or whatever the fuck. Um, $2 billion for clean hydrogen industry in Australia. The details are a little bit scant on that one. Some boosted environmental spending, but yes, the absence of the climate crisis and environmental spending, particularly consummate yeah. to the challenge that faces um, economic, ecological breakdown seems pretty um, pathetic. Absolutely. I mean, on, on environment, on environment spending, the estimate is that we should be spending at least $2 billion a year on ecological restoration. And right. there was, you know, pittance being um, spent on the environment in basically no significant increase. And you may or may not have noticed that in the Treasurer's um, budget speech on Tuesday night, there was not one mention of climate. He did yeah. not mention the climate crisis at all. And I believe that Tanya Plibersek just approved her first coal mine, which is well, that's fantastic. Right. Yes, yep. Great work. Okay. Uh, the last big question, of course, is what is to be done about all this? I mean, some folks were saying that the Greens should seriously consider blocking the budget legislation. A, is that something we can even do? Would that make a difference if the coalition is going to vote for it? What are the parliamentary moves, I suppose, that you and your colleagues yeah. can make when it comes to improving this budget and making it less shit? Most of the budget measures um, are wrapped up in the measures that are required to just sort of keep the government running. And so it's, and the convention is you don't block those measures yep. because then you're blocking supply and, you know, everything falls apart. Right. So, and we have committed that, you know, we're not going to be doing that. Then there are particular measures in the budget that have to have separate legislation brought into them, into them. And we'll be looking at each of them on their merits. So, for example, on the PRRT, we yep. are saying don't take us for granted that we're going to pass that. Um, we'll see what the, the Liberals do on that. Some of the other measures are, look, you know, despite the poultry increase of two eighty five, you know, two dollars eighty five a day for job seeker, we're not going to be standing in the way of that because, as we said, you know, two dollars eighty five and the extra dollar you might get in Commonwealth rent allowance, it's not enough. It's only four dollars a day, where it should be forty dollars a day. But four dollars a day is going to make a, you know, it will make a difference in people, um, in mm -hmm. people's lives to be able, at least, be able to have that 
that extra, you know, $40 a fortnight. So we're not going to be standing in the way of that. Um, but we will keep on campaigning. And we might seek to amend some of these bills to at least be, you know, really saying this is what it should be and, you know, and really making it clear that, um, you know, the government should be calling on the Labor Party, calling on the government to be supporting us, to be spending more money where it's really needed and to be raising more money as well um, where, it's, where, where it really is possible. Mm. But, and, I mean, the other, the other big thing is just sort of keeping up the fight. It's really seeing, yep, you know, we didn't get what was needed out of this budget and just we've got power to be raising the issue and to be, you know, putting it up there in lights through the parliamentary process and recognising that the way that we're going to get better um, budgets and more and better better outcomes is by having us as Greens, not just with our balance of power in the Senate as we have now, but electing more House MPs so that we've got balance of power in the in the House too. And so the government really needs to take every take our policy positions into account when they're formulating their net, you know, budgets from here on. Mm. I mean, and and targeting those backbench MPs from the Labor Party, right? Now, I, I appreciate them joining the call and speaking out against their own government and calling for a raise. But we need to be able to say, look, they're in the government. They called on their own government to raise these paltry payments, which we all know exactly. are poverty payments, and they still couldn't get anything done. The only way this is going to change, if it becomes a serious political cost to Labor MPs and you get Greens in there, um, demanding demanding something different, right? Like yeah. we've, we've always got to go after the, the, these MPs that are like sort of saying the nice things but not getting any results. They, their feet need to be held to the fire. Exactly. And actually, and really, yeah, putting their, their noses to the fire. Noses to the what, to the, whatever it is. <laughs> noses in the fire. That's right. Feet in the fire. <laughs> yeah, I like that nose in the fire too, I guess. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. And just finally, Janet, so you're you're chairing this committee into into poverty in Australia. You've had an interim report tabled. We'll be getting another sort of report from that later in the year. Yes, so we've got some more hearings coming on um, throughout the uh, the rest of the year. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Senator Janet Wrights, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I know you got you hit the road, and I appreciate you giving us all your time. Thanks for uh, fighting the good fight and talking through this wonderful budget with me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Janet. Okay, that was and fantastic. I do need to go. I've got a party room meeting at two in a minute's oh, time. Gosh. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So we did go wrong there. All right. Let me talk to you about the Green spokesperson on housing. You know, he's had a taste of the media spotlights. He's had a taste of the media spotlight. Your spokesperson on housing is now prioritising media t- attention from stunts and obstruction over housing for, for women and kids fleeing domestic violence. How shameful. You know... This man's ego, this man's ego matters more than housing for women fleeing domestic violence and older women at risk of homelessness. This man's ego matters more than women fleeing domestic violence. What uh, sort Senator of party McKim, are you? Senator McKim, what Senator Wong, sort of Senator Wong, I have a point of order. The Leader of Government in the Senate is well out of order. She is reflecting personally on the motives and impugning the motives of a member of the other place. She's not only wrong, she is uh, very clearly showing that uh, Mr Chandler Mather is right under the skin of the government and I ask her, I ask you to require her to withdraw. Senator Wong, for the benefit of the chamber, I'd have to, I'd ask you to withdraw. Well, it, I withdraw for the benefit of the, of the chamber and what I would say to you is this. The question for the Greens is whether a person's ego matters more than the security of having a hot roof over That's your right. head because that is what that is what we are seeing. We've uh, got a lot of people who are interested in asking this question, many in fact. It comes from Danielle Raphael. Um, my question is directed to Penny. Um, Penny, you say that you support your party's decision to be against gay marriage even though you are gay yourself. How can you sit idly back and allow yourself to remain silent about the obvious inequality that you are kept in? Um, I'm glad you asked me this question because I think it's important for me to explain to you how I approach this issue and and politics. Now, I accept uh, that you and and some other people in the community would like us to have a different position in terms of marriage. That isn't the position of the party. Uh, But what I would say to you is uh, do take a moment to consider uh, what we have tried to do 
what we've advocated for and what we have delivered for gay and lesbian Australians. Well, this is a, a lack of leadership, I have to say. This is a real lack of leadership. Thank you, Janet Rice. The only budget analysis that you need. We're the only winners out of this budget and everyone else is a loser. God, I went through the ABC winners and losers thing again. Fucking kill me. Um, thank you to Janet Rice. Thank you and shout out love and solidarity to all the people that do amazing work campaigning for poverty to not exist in Australia. You know them, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, the Anti-Poverty Centre, um, ACOS sometimes when they do good stuff and are just sort of just very nice to the Labor Party. Uh, you know, the good people. Uh, you can always join the Australian Unemployed Workers Union as a solidarity member or if you're an unemployed person yourself, you can join them too. Um, Anti-Poverty Centre do fantastic stuff. As Janet says, the fight needs to to keep raging, that's for sure. Another little call to action this year, this week rather is, I thought was worth giving a shout-out to, Extinction Re- Rebellion are going to be occupying the NAM Melbourne CBD on the 25th, 26th and 27th of May. Um, they're taking over the whole thing. I guess they're camping out and you can occupy it. This, this has happened in uh, London recently too. It's, you know, basically a, a call for no new coal, no new gas, no native forest logging, and we want emergency action to address the emergency, the climate emergency and the climate crisis that we find ourselves in. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in that, if you're around NAM and you want to camp out in the city and um, occupy Melbourne to say, God damn it, we need serious action uh, about the climate crisis now. Um, they're trying to get a 1,000 people, I think, to get involved. So, yeah, link in the show notes if you're around Melbourne town. We'll be back next week. Emerald will be back on the show. And next Sunday, we will see you at our sold-out live show at the Good Chat Comedy Club in Brisbane. Can't wait to do that. We'll be joined by Max Chandler-Mather and comedian Geraldine Hickey. And you'll be hearing bits from that live show on your podcast feed in the coming weeks. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Follow us on social media at SeriousDangerAU. Uh, Send us an email anytime you like. Hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. I love you. Bye-bye. Serious Danger Australia.